Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. The scripture reading today is from Acts 17. And this is God's word, and it is eternally true. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence from the Christ that, that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and others, they released them. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they were, received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also, some of the Epicurean Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made that world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, 
nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far off from each of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is the word of God. Good morning. I am very excited to preach on this chapter today. Jody gave me the, a good one. And uh, so could we get the map up on the screen again? We have, of course, been preaching through Acts, and so we're following now Paul's missionary journeys. And today, we're going to be, he's going to pass through right here, these two spots, and then he's going to go to Thessalonica, and then to Berea, and then because there was trouble, he decided to get really far away, and he sailed all the way down to Athens, right down here. Now, this, of course, is all part of God, the plan of God's Word going forth. To all the nations. This is the theme of the book of Acts. God's word inexorably is marching forward. And that's still happening today. We're still part of this same story that we're talking about from Acts 17. Where are we? Where is Bloomington on this map? We're like way over there or something, right? Maybe outside of the building. We were... You know, this is, we are at the remote ends of the earth in the story of God's word going forth throughout all the world. <clears throat> but the thing to remember is that we are part of the same story that's going on here. Now, this morning I want to speak specifically to the, to, to the young people in this congregation. Uh, if you're still living in your parents' home and you're somewhere between birth and adulthood, I want your ears to perk up uh, because I'm trying, at least, to talk to you in particular. We'll let the adults listen in. And the first thing I want to hit, the first point I want to make, is that we are made to know God. Children, you were made to know God, and you're not too young to begin thinking about that. In fact, you must start thinking about that right now. You probably know that God made the heavens and the earth and everything that's in them. 
and that everything that exists be, was made by God. You probably know that because you, your parents told you, someone told you. But the Bible says that everyone knows that. In, Roman, in Romans 1, it says, For the, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they, we, are without excuse. Now, if you look at the map, uh, map of the world, uh, we're familiar with it. We've looked at them so many times, so, so they, it seems familiar to us. But if, you'd looked at, if you looked at the map of the world for the first time, it looked really weird, right? You have this, this, this thing, this picture, that has a bunch of blue on it, and then all these weird shapes with weird colors, all, in all these different colors. Now, kids, what are all those different colors on the map? Those weird shapes and those weird colors. Countries, nations, that's exactly right. All those weird shapes are nations. And in our passage today, Paul preached uh, that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation, and the, the boundaries of their habitation. Now, that's quite a challenge to us, because we like to think that we are in charge of our own destiny. Presidents, uh, emperors, kings like to think that they are in charge of their own destiny. They don't like the idea that, well, actually, your boundary has been determined already. <laughs> I've decided already how far you're going to go, Julius Caesar. You know, Hannibal. Uh, I don't know. Name a conqueror. I've already determined the, your appointed time and boundaries. Can you kids name some of the major empires of the world? Rome, right? What else? Russia? The Russian Empire, okay. Yeah? Oh, you were in the first service. Uh, you're cheating. <laughs> All right, somebody else. China, okay. Yep. Covers huge part of the world. Germany, yeah, for a time. In, in, ancient, in the ancient world, you have the Persian Empire. More recently, there was the British Empire. Massive empire all over the world. The, the sun never sets on the British Empire. What about the American Empire? <clears throat> all of it determined by God. Now, if you go get on a plane and you go to Timbuktu or to Moscow or to Tokyo, what are you going to find there? You're going to find people who look maybe very different. Maybe their customs are different. Their culture is different. The things that they eat are different. Uh, but if you're paying attention, you'll find that all mankind is very religious, right? It's very religious. In verse 27 of our uh, passage today, Paul says that God appointed times and boundaries so that they, the people, would seek God if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and exist. We were made, you kids were made to know God. 
You were made to have a relationship with God. You're supposed to make it your life's aim to know God and to know and obey what he expects of you, to know what he expects of you and to do it, right? This is what you were made for. And God is not far off. He is near. Now, there are many, many things, many roadblocks to you kids thinking about God and about these things that I'm talking about. I think that one of the biggest roadblocks, unfortunately, is we adults. Why would I say that? Well, I think that we adults often talk down to you, right? We think that you're not able to handle the idea, handle thinking about God, thinking about eternity, thinking about the judgment. We think that you'll be confused by our theology, all of our complicated terms. But of course, probably the real reason is that we don't want to trouble ourselves with it, right? We adults don't want to think about it, and so we discourage you kids from taking it seriously. But Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven belongs to children. Jesus said, let the children come to me. So I'm telling you right now, kids, God made you to know him. Not when you're older, right now. Now let me tell you another secret about adults. Uh, We sometimes act like children's problems are small and adult problems are big, right? And so we're dismissive. We're dismissive of you. And this is... This isn't a good thing, Um, but the truth is that adults have the very same troubles that children have, right? Adults, you, I think, would agree with me. We, We get afraid sometimes. We get hungry and tired. We get sick. We're tempted by the very same things. We're tempted to be angry and selfish. We have the same joys in life, you know, friendship, love, being at peace with one another. And so we can be very dismissive, but don't, don't, let that, don't let that dissuade you kids from wanting to know more about God and from coming to God, okay? Don't let that dissuade you. Jesus t- said, let the children come to me. So you need to go to God now. You're not too young. You're not too little. <clears throat> Now, I've kind of blamed the parents, the adults, so far, but you don't get off scot-free, kids. There's other reasons why you don't think about God, and, the, and they are more your fault, okay? Proverbs says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Do you like to hear that? <laughs> Do you like to hear that foolishness is bound up in your heart? I left off the part that Comes next. I'm trying to bring him along here. <laughs> what comes next is, that, but the rod of correction will drive it from them. Right? That's what it says next. But children, foolishness is bound up in your heart. And what is that folly? What is that foolishness? Well, it's a lot of things. Sometimes, and I've seen children... Sometimes it's that you don't want to be corrected, you know? I have a five-year-old. You try to tell him something, oh, I already knew that. Oh, okay. 
I must be superfluous. I don't even know what I'm doing here. He already knew that. <laughs> um, so you're proud, and you don't want to be corrected. You want to think that you're already, you've already got it. And you teenagers are no better. You adults are no better, but you teenagers are no better. But there's more to that folly than simply being stubborn and proud, right? There's also the fact that you get children are easily distracted by silly, worthless things, right? You're very naive. Uh, in Proverbs, it talks about being simple-minded. This is the way children are. They're easily impressed. You know, you see a Dude Perfect video. You're like, whoa, that's amazing. <laughs> they threw a basketball off the Empire State Building or whatever it is that they're doing. <laughs> uh, I believe that they're in the heart of every grown man. There's a middle school boy. Um, easily distracted. You want to have a good time and you'd rather put difficult, uncomfortable things out of your mind, kids. Listen, all the adults, if they are listening, they know what I'm saying is true because we're the same way. We're the same way. But you must think about God. You must think carefully about who He is and what He requires of you. He's requiring those things of you now. Now, right? God commands you to obey now, not when you're older, now. <clears throat> you remember the story of the Garden of Eden? I like, uh, I'm a big picture kind of guy, so I like to start at the beginning. I've done this before in sermons. Um, the story of the Garden of Eden Adam and Eve took the fruit, they sinned against God, and God punished them with curses. They were cursed. They were banished from the garden, cut off from fellowship, and cut off from that close, intimate fellowship with God, the one who had made them. They were separated from God. And what is necessary for you, what was necessary for them to be reunited with God? God, what's necessary is for God to act and speak and to work in your life. And this is precisely what God has done throughout salvation history. This is what he did with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. He says, I am going to come near. God says, I'm going to come near to this people and tell them what I expect from them. They will again be my people. This is different from the nations, from the way that God handled the nations. Back in Acts 14, Paul tells the people in Lystra, the, uh, Paul had done a miracle there back in Acts 14 uh, to, in the, the presence of the people in Lystra, and they started to try to worship him. They thought he was one of their Greek gods. And Paul says, no, 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 don't worship me. Stop. Don't do that. In generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, Right? God overlooked, passed by the other nations, but he had a special relationship with his people, and he gave his people his prophets and his word. He told them what he expected of them. And this is why Paul goes to the synagogues first in every city that he goes to. Jesus was the Messiah of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. 
He made it clear repeatedly, Jesus did, that he came first and foremost to the house of Israel. And so this is what Paul does when he visits Thessalonica. If you look again in Acts chapter 17, verse 2, it says, And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. So he went to the Jews first, his people that he had chosen. Well, Paul did. And he reasoned, Paul reasoned from the Scriptures, right? And kids, God has given us his word. God has given us his word. We must cherish it. You must cherish it. You're not too young to start reading the Bible. Now, why is it hard to read the Bible? Any ideas? Shout them out if you can think of them. Why is it hard to read the Bible? We're shallow, that's true. That's very true. We don't like what it says about us, right? Doesn't like, we don't like being told that we're sinners. Very good. What's that? Okay. <laughs> Bad people. What, what else? It's not just the content. It's actually hard to read a story about people you've never heard of in places you don't even know anything about. Right? Like, what's the context? And it's written in languages and in ways that we're very unfamiliar with. Right? We're very unfamiliar with. Of course, it's translated into English, but even then, it's, it's hard. It's hard to read the Bible. Now, how many of you are learning an instrument? Kids, how many of you are learning an instrument? Is it fun to play an instrument the first time? It's not really fun, right? You don't make nice sounds with it, right? It's kind of obnoxious. You're mostly confronted with how terrible you are <laughs> with it. Well, what happens as you practice and as you grow and as you learn how to play that instrument? What happens? It gets more fun, right? You actually figure out how to make the thing sing. And then you get to the point where you can just jam and just play. And it's fun. This is, this is what studying Scripture is like. Yeah, it's going to be hard, kids. You're, you're, you have to learn a lot of things. This is why you're in school. You've got a lot of things to learn, and it's difficult. Oh, but it's going to be amazing. You've got to stick at it. You've got to stick at it. In the back of my mind, the whole time uh, as I was preparing this sermon, I kept thinking of Pastor Baker. Uh, he says, how could you possibly make history boring? Right? How is that even possible? It's amazing. This is the way Scripture is. How could we possibly make Scripture, the pages of Scripture, dry and dull and boring? It's not Scripture's fault that, it, that we act like that. Kids, study the Scriptures. Okay? Study the Scriptures. This is, so Paul went to the Thessalonians. He reasoned from the Scriptures. And what was the response of the Jews to him? Jumping down, it says, But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. So despite Paul's arguments, despite 
his work, despite uh, him explaining to them that Jesus was the Christ, they were hard and stubborn. They were obstinate. They opposed Paul. Uh, when I, this next word, I think of Pastor Tim. They were mulish. I, can, I just imagine Tim saying the word mulish. What is mulish? Like a mule, like a stubborn donkey. Some of you children are like that. Some of you children are like that. And I want you to be, beware here. I've got a very serious warning from you, for you. What happens next in this story? Paul moves on. He moves on. Do you understand what I'm saying? I like to tell my children that their time in my home is very, very short. They'll be out of there soon, and they'll have to face the consequences of everything that that means. Some of it will be good, but there's a lot of difficult things. Life is hard. <laughs> Life is hard. Paul moved on. What does that mean for the Thessalonians, kids? It means that they missed their opportunity, and they were never going to get it back. Do you hear me, kids? It is possible to miss the opportunity to, to repent and believe, to hear God's word. How many adults, how many of those sitting in this room groan when we think about the missed opportunities in our lives? Painful to think about. Painful. You kids, beware. There comes a time when your opportunity is gone and it will never come back. So Paul moves on from the Thessalonians, and he moves on to Berea. Very different set of circumstances, right? Again, he goes to the synagogues, to God's chosen people, and it says that they studied the Scriptures carefully to see, uh, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so, right? And there's two important things that you should learn, that we should all learn from this. First of all, that our anchor is God's Word. Our anchor has to be God's Word. You know, we live in Bloomington, Indiana, and we're a town of learning, right? But without the anchor of God's Word, look where our learning gets us, right? We have the Kinsey Institute. Look where it gets us. It gets us nowhere. Our anchor must be God's Word. What's the second point? Everything else is negotiable. <laughs> everything else is negotiable, right? Everything in our lives is negotiable when it comes to God. Everything except for God's word is negotiable. That is our rock. Everything else is up for grabs. So it means, kids, that we need to be willing to listen, but grounded in the word of God. You do need to be open-minded, but not because you're willing to put anything in there, into your mind, Okay? Some of you children are mulish, like the Thessalonians, but there's others of us, others of you here, who are willing to let anything in. Let absolutely anything come in. Let anyone direct your path. Uh, you'll listen to anyone. No, you can't, you can't do either of those things. We have to be open, but grounded by God's Word. 
If you're not grounded by God's word, you'll be carried away by what's cool and trendy. You'll be concerned about what others think. And here again, kids, this church, Lord willing, is going to be here in 50 years, 100 years. Now, what's going to make that possible? Obviously, God is going to have to work, right? We know that God is going to have to work. But will you, kids, cherish God's Word? Will this church be a church that cherishes God's Word in 50 years? Now, unfortunately, for the Bereans, the Jews from Thessalonica came over and stirred things up, and so Paul had to leave. He had to run for his life. It seemed like there was good response, uh, but Paul had to get out of there. And he, went, he moved on to, to Athens. Now, Athens. What, do you know, what, do you, what can you say about Athens? There's so much to say. What do you kids know about Athens? Anything? I, I didn't hear that. Say it louder. Oh, it's dedicated to Athena. That's right. The goddess Athena. That's right. Anything else? What else do you know about Athens? You, you got to say it loud. Center of learning. That's right. That's right. What do you got? They're known for talking a lot. Oh, that's exactly right. That's right. They're known for talking a lot. Our passage says that Paul's spirit was provoked within him. He was in anguish when he saw that the city was full of idols. Many gods and goddesses, the, the, not just the idols, but the accoutrements of worship everywhere. Temples and offerings, I'm sure, all over the place. And, and of course, many, the pantheon of gods and goddesses, of Greek gods and goddesses, There are references to various gods and goddesses in our passage today, in Acts 17. One was already mentioned, of course, that the city itself was named for the goddess of wisdom and war, Athena. Are there, can you, can you name some of the other gods and goddesses that are referenced in this passage? Yes. Who? Cyclops? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think he's referenced in it. Yeah? Who? Ares. Very good. Very good. The Areopagus. That simply means the hill of Ares. Ares was the Greek god of warfare. And those were the, Athena and Ares were the two that I thought of. But there, a couple of kids in the first service thought of a couple others. Yeah? Yeah, very good. Dionysus, there's someone named after one of the gods. Yeah? Where is, where is Zeus mentioned? I don't think he's mentioned in this one. But it's, <laughs> there's one other one that I didn't think of. One of the cities that they passed through. Apollos, right? Uh, what was the name of the city? Apollonia, Apolo, something like that. Anyway, it was, it's, a number of these gods are, uh, are mentioned, even just in the, in the names of the places. But Athens, right? Athens. It is the seat of philosophy, Western philosophy. 
what does philosophy mean? The love of wisdom. Um, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle from Athens. Amazing. The seat of democracy, the ideas of democracy come from Athens. Theater, culture, the arts. In the story of the world, Athens is just like one of the cities, one of the standout cities in the history of the world. You remember the Tower of Babel? It says, they said, back in Genesis 11, they, the people said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. We'll have the people of Athens, have the Athenians made a name for themselves? Oh yeah, buddy. I mean, we're here 3,000 years, 2,500 years later talking about them. And we talk about them constantly. They have made a name for themselves. They've made a name for themselves. And we today live in Athens. Kids, you need to realize that you live in Athens. Have you ever been to a fair? How many of you have been to a fair? It's amazing, right? You got all the bright lights and there's candy everywhere, so many things to look at, so many things to be distracted by. You live in Athens. I can imagine that walking into Athens, as Paul did, so many things that just hit him in the face, right? It's like walking into New York City or, or one of these big cities. Just amazing. You're awed by everything around you. You live in Athens, we live in Athens. Now in verse 21 it says, Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. We live in a time of information overload. But with Athens, you had to like go to the Agora, right? You had to go to the marketplace to see everything going on. Today, uh, Athens is in our bedroom and in our pocket, Right? We have it all around us. It's always accessible to us. And my main advice is to turn it off, to get rid of it. Uh, Heather gave a talk about screens and technologies a few weeks ago. A number of you ladies were able to listen to that, were, were there to talk about that. And she encouraged, challenged you ladies to talk to your husbands about how you use technology and how you use screens in your homes. And I want to bring that up again because I want to ask you, have you talked to your husbands yet? This is very important. Athens is in our homes, okay? Have you talked to your husbands? Have, we as families in this church need to be having conversations about this. What we watch is the company that we keep. Why would you be surprised that your child isn't a Christian if they spend every waking moment of their life surrounded by people who live for pleasure and who deny God? This is what's on our television screens and on our internet, on our phones. We live in Athens. We have to be careful. Kids, you have to be careful. Okay? Now, what is Paul's response when he gets to Athens? Okay? It's very different than our response so often is. We like to circle the wagons. We like to judge. We like to look down on. 
We think that they're dirty. Um, This wasn't Paul's response at all. He was in anguish. He was provoked. He was upset. In verse 23, and he goes right to them, right? He goes right to the people. He says in verse 23, I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And what does he say to them? What is Paul? He goes right to them. And what does he say to them? Unapologetically, he goes to the seat of learning and knowledge and wisdom that we're still talking about thousands of years later. And Paul, who's like a nobody, he's nobody. He goes to them and tells them that they're ignorant. And he begins to open up the truth to them. He says, God who made the world and all the things in it. That's how he starts. God who made the world and all the things in in it. Some will tell you that the world happened by chance, right? This is the pressure that we feel today. We feel a constant pressure of atheism atheism today. And and the pressure of uh, of, of teaching all around us that the world happened by chance. And one of the philosophers that he mentions, the uh, Epicure, he mentions the Epicureans, right? Epicurus taught that the world came about by chance and that the gods were distant and unconcerned about what happened on earth. Well, you know, they might be there, he said, but they don't care. They're not involved. The pressure to think like that is all around us. And it's not true. Kids, it's not true. This, I, this, is, gonna, this is something that us adults, we adults, this is really hard for us to learn, and I pray and hope that you kids can learn how to live and think every day, not independently of God, but every day remembering that you exist because of God. Every second of every day, you are in relationship with God, and what you're doing and how you're thinking is, uh, comes down to whether or not you are, are living in obedience to God. He goes on to say that God does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. In him we live and move and exist. All the other religions of the world assume that God can be managed and manipulated. The Greek gods were certainly that way. And so there is pressure, there's pressure on the one hand to think that God isn't there, he's unconcerned, he doesn't want to have anything to do with me. But then on the other hand, there's this pressure, this idea that we can manage God by what we do and say and think. We must not be pressed into thinking that way. This is not the way God is. God made you. You, you exist only by God's pleasure. So what should we learn from, from Paul's response to, the, to Athens and what he does, what he says in Athens? First of all, of course, God is. The most real, fundamental thing about you is that God made you and that you live and move and exist in Him. Every second of every day has to be lived with the knowledge that God is there and that He's not far from us. Right? This is what Paul says. He is not far from us. He's not out there somewhere just kind of watching interestedly or not in the world, letting us do what we want. He's interested in us. He's not far. He's near. 
and we are to walk in relationship with him. And the other thing you, you can know is that you have this in common with every person you meet. Every person you meet is in relationship with God in one way or another, either in opposition to him or in obedience to him. You can know this. You can take this as an assumption. Don't worry about those who say that God is not there, right? You, don't, you can't make a problem go away just because you say that it's not there, <laughs> right? It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. <clears throat> and oh my goodness, God's mercy and kindness to us. Can you imagine? God could have done anything he wanted, but instead he sent Jesus who taught us to pray our Father. He taught us to, to relate to God as our Father. Ah, it's amazing. Now, some of us had good fathers, some of us had bad fathers, earthly fathers, but God is the Father. He's all wise, all powerful, all good. Ah, and He commands us to relate to Him as our Father near at hand. Kids, especially you teenagers, some of those of you who are a little older. Some of you are at war with your father. Let me plead with you, don't be at war with your dad. Don't, be, don't fight with your dad. God gave you an earthly father for your good. Remember what I say to my kids, you're gonna be out of your home soon. Trust me, it's gonna be very, very soon. And you're gonna have all the crushing weight of responsibility that comes with that. It's coming soon enough. Receive what your father has for you. Be thankful for it. Be thankful for it. Now, the Athenians thought that they could manage the gods, right? Just, you know, God, they, gave, they, they made idols. They built temples to, to appease these gods that they made up, right? And they even had this idol to this unknown god. They're like, okay, well... You know, we've, we've, we've placated Athena, we've placated Ares, we've placated all these other gods, but we've probably missed one, and so maybe he'll be happy if we just make this idol over here to an unknown god. Sorry, we've, we missed you, we didn't really mean to, but here you go. Here's, here's something to make you happy. This is the way that they thought about God. Kids, God cannot be managed that way. <laughs> The idea is absolutely ridiculous. And this, again, I have Pastor, Baker's, Pastor Baker in the back of my mind. Like, the idea that history is boring is just insane. Because I, I look at this chapter of the Bible, Acts chapter 17, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, is sent by God to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, first to the Jews, and then to the, to the nations, to the Gentiles. And he's, he's, he goes to Athens, the seat of human wisdom and learning. And what do they do with him? They say, hey, this guy's kind of interesting. We like to hear everything new. We'll, we'll listen to this guy and see what he has to say and decide for ourselves whether it's worth listening to. We're going to take him to the Areopagus. Now, what is the Areopagus? It was, uh, it was a place... It was like the supreme court, right? It was where the god of war, Ares, was supposedly uh, tried for murdering Poseidon's son, <laughs> right? 
but it was used to try murderers and traitors. And this is where they took the Apostle Paul to decide whether what he had to say was of any use or benefit to them. We think that we will put God on trial. We think we act like we are in the judgment seat and that God has to live up to our standard of what is good and fair. And Paul says, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Really? Are you for real? No, it's you. Thank you for bringing me to the Supreme Court. Thank you. It's you that's on trial and the judge is coming. He is coming soon. Kids, you are not too little to think about this. You are not too little to think about this. And are you going to accuse God? Are you going to be in the judgment seat and take your bitterness and anger at God and accuse him? Jesus tells a story about a wealthy landowner in Matthew 21. He says this, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? Those listening said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Children, you are not too young to think about this. You need to think about this right now. Listen again to Paul in the Areopagus, verse 30. God is now declaring to all men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man he has appointed. That judge is Jesus Christ, and he is coming. Revenge is a common theme in some of the most famous books and movies that you see. What are some famous revenge stories? Count of Monte Cristo, that's right. What's that? I'm sorry, what? The Princess Bride, yes, that epic that we all know and love. Work of art. <laughs> There's the, the, the mother of all uh, revenge stories, the Iliad, right? Maybe more to our American taste. There's True Grit. Some of you have seen that movie. The book is amazing and much better. What's that? Say it again. Star Wars, okay. What's the, the, the line in uh, The Count of Monte Cristo? How did I escape? With difficulty. How did I plan this moment? With pleasure. Right? He gets his revenge. Did I get that right, Andrew? <laughs> what happens in these stories? 
The good guys either banished or left for dead, and the bad guys think they have nothing to worry about. They go on about their lives with nothing to worry about. But what happens when the good guy returns? What happens? There was a time when Jesus himself was on trial. You remember that, of course? He was condemned unjustly. He was tortured and murdered and left for dead. And then what happened? God vindicated him. A court of higher appeal, right? God looked down and was like, reviewed the case. He reviewed the case. He said, you did what? You did what? You executed my son? My righteous son? No, 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 no. This is under official review. (laughs) He raised him up from the dead. And he said, now Jesus, I have vindicated you. And I've now given you all authority and dominion and power. You are the judge. Now now you go back and you judge those who once judged you. What do you think he's going to do when he comes back? Kids, this is not too difficult for you. You need to think about this right now. Jesus is coming back, and it's a fearsome thing. And again, this is amazing. Paul is in the Areopagus, the seat of wisdom and learning, and the Athenians, just like the Jews, just like us today, think we are going to put God on trial. You are not going to put God on trial. You're not going to put God on trial. We are the ones on trial. Whatever difficulty, whatever struggle you have in life, whatever reason you think you have for accusing God, you're not, he's not on trial, folks. We are. And kids, you have been given much. Jesus said, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. We have been given much. God, in ancient times past, let the nations go their own way. But now, he demands that all men repent and believe in the one that he sent. There is still time for repentance before the judgment, but the judge is coming. Now, I want to end with two final applications. One is remember, verse 30, that God overlooked the times of ignorance. He passed over. He, he ignored the times of ignorance. Folks, kids, that time of ignorance is over. It's over. Ignorance is not a virtue. We live in a, in a uh, Bloomington, Indiana, okay? It's a, it's, a, it's a city of learning, the university, and of course, we live in a time where information is just everywhere, information overload. And so I think that uh, many of us have this reaction against it, right? We, a reaction against learning and knowledge and information. And, and so we, we, we there's, there's like a culture of, of uh, ignorance that we, that we think is good, but ignorance is not good. The reason Bloomington is so tied up is not, is not because they're so wise and learned, you know, not because we're so wise. The Athenians weren't in bondage uh, because they were so wise and learned. 
They were in bondage because they were ignorant. And the thing to learn here is, is not that knowledge and wisdom is bad. It's that you're going to tie yourself up. You're gonna, you're gonna, if, you, if you use the world's knowledge and wisdom apart from God and his word, you're just going to have enough rope to hang yourself with, right? All the books is just rope, or they're just rope to hang yourself with. And this is what we see here in Bloomington. Just the insanity of the things that, that come, that pass for knowledge and wisdom here in Bloomington. It's, it's crazy. But that doesn't mean that knowledge and wisdom is bad, okay? Kids, you, you need to get a book and read it. <laughs> you need to work hard to learn and grow in wisdom. This is important, but it has to be anchored in God's word. It has to be anchored in God's word. All true knowledge and learning begins with God's word, and it's for everyone. Second is just look at Paul's heart for the lost. Paul was in anguish, and he knew that God had sent him to carry his message of Jesus Christ to conquer, that Jesus, was, that Jesus intended to conquer the nations. And I hope and pray that some of the young people in this church will grow to have a heart for the lost. Will grow to have a heart for the lost. You know, I, I, my, I come from a missionary family. Um, my grandparents went to the Congo in the 1940s. And my parents are missionaries in the Congo now. My dad is now 73 years old. And he is from a generation of missionaries that are wrapping things up. They're done. They're finished. Um, And one of the things my dad says is that there are very few people signing up to go to the Congo these days. Right now, of course, things are different. There are differences between now and when my grandfather went to the Congo in the 40s. Many things about the world are different. There are churches in the remotest parts of the Congo. Um, Nevertheless, this zeal that Paul had, this fire burning in his heart with love for the lost is what we need to see with some of you kids. I hope and pray that some of you kids will become missionaries. And you might not go to the Congo, or you might not go to Singapore, or I don't know where. Uh, It might be just around the corner. After all, I've said numerous times that we live in Athens, right? We need missionaries here. But I hope and pray that some of you have a burning desire to carry the, the, the message of God's love with you and to tell others about it. And what do you have to do to prepare for that? What should you be doing right now? Well, you got to read your Bible, of course. You have to be willing to serve others and think about others before you think about your desires and your wants. You have to be willing to talk about Jesus with other people and to be laughed at and sort of looked down on. You know, Pastor Max is fond of saying there's no magic in a plane ride. You don't magically become bold and full of conviction and willing to talk to people Uh, about Jesus just because you took a plane ride somewhere far away. And some of you young boys, some of you young boys, you need to be thinking now about maybe being a pastor. We need you to think right now about being a pastor and what it means 
what it's going to take for you to be a pastor in our day and age. The things that are happening in this country are scary. You know, the opposition against God and his truth is intense. It does feel like it's growing. So what do you young men need to do? Well, you need to read, like I said before. Stop wasting your life with entertainment that will destroy your soul. Please stop. Read. Study the scriptures. Read books. Study history. Learn the ancient languages. Latin, Greek, Hebrew. Study them. Start right now. When Paul was in the city of Athens, he didn't look down on the people. He loved them. He loved them. I love the hymn, Lead On, O King Eternal. Uh, it says, one of the verses says, Lead on, O King Eternal, till since sin's fierce war shall cease, and holiness shall whisper the sweet amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing or roll of stirring drums, with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. God's kingdom is established in the hearts of men and women. This is how God's kingdom comes. When Jesus taught, taught us to pray, your kingdom come, that's how it happens. Not with a military campaign, not with uh, missiles and bombs and helicopters, but, being, but God's kingdom being born in the hearts of people through love. Jesus came to save those who were lost and hopeless, and he is our king. So let's follow him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the Apostle Paul and for his heart for the lost. I pray, Father, that we too would have a heart for the lost. I pray that we would not judge and think ourselves better. Oh, Father, what a ridiculous thing. I pray for our children, that they would love your word, and that some of them here would grow to be missionaries, to be those who would go out and proclaim your truth. And I pray, Father, that you would raise up men to be pastors and to preach your word and to do the hard work of speaking about you and, and building your kingdom. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.